0: I'm Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Res City. Where, you know, if it's your first time visiting with us here uh, at Res City, whether it's here in person or online, uh, I just want to offer you a special welcome. Thank you for for joining with us on this this beautiful Sunday morning here uh, in Saint Paul, or wherever you may be tuning in and watching us from. Uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series through the Book of Philippians. It's kind of our summer sermon series, and I'm going to read the passage that we'll be walking through today. I'll pray, and then we'll get into it. So, Philippians 3, 12 to 17. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together in worship this Sunday morning. Um, I pray that you would be with us as we... Uh, as we study your word. And like Zach said, I pray that you, w- you would meet us, Lord. Help us to uh, never, Lord, when we encounter uh, your son, whether it be through your word, through worship, through listening to your spirit, to, to being in community with one another, Lord, with, those who, uh, w- with more of those who follow you, Lord. Let us not be the same when we leave. Help us to be changed, even if in small, incremental ways. Help us to be, um, help us to be changed, God. We pray this in, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So we've been in the book of Philippians, uh, like I said, and um, we are kind of coming to uh, the, the middle of the book here. And as I was kind of reading through this, this passage um, uh, this week and kind of thinking through it, it, it kind of made me think of a movie that I watched last fall on Netflix. So I don't know if you guys, any, any of you other people watch this movie. It's called The King on Netflix starring Timothy Chalamet. It's kind of a historical epic. It's actually uh, based on Shakespeare's uh, historical plays, especially as far as I understand it anyway. Um, my wife is the, uh, the Shakespeare scholar in the family. But uh, Henry IV, part two, and Henry V are the two plays that this movie is kind of based on. And it's about a guy named Henry V. He's a real historical king of England, uh, or Hal. It's kind of what they refer to him as in the movie and in the plays. And Hal is a guy that no one thought would make a good king. That's kind of clear from the beginning of the movie. Um, he's kind of depicted as a party boy. Uh, he's someone who's kind of off on his own. He's really not even hanging out in the royal court with his father and his brother uh, and kind of all the other people that would have been associated with royalty. He was just off on his own, um, kind, of, kind of seen as a screw-up. That's kind of how he was viewed. And re- really, by all accounts, he's a nobody in that world. Despite the fact that he's a part of the royal family, he's seen as a total nobody. And in fact, the plan is actually to have his younger brother, Thomas, leapfrog him in succession when his father died. That was kind of the, the, the plan that the king is putting in place there, uh, is for the younger son, Thomas, to take over. Because they really are like, we don't think Hal's going to make a great king Let's just skip them. We can fudge the rules here and make that happen because we think this nobody would really kind of run the train uh, off the tracks. But his father dies and then, his, and then Thomas dies really quickly uh, right after each other. And so there's no choice but to make Hal king of England. And, and that's kind of where the, the, the movie starts. And this is how, how monarchy works, right? Despite the fact that Hal is seen by pretty much every measure, by everybody else, as kind of a nobody, he's now a somebody, he's king of England, and he's got to kind of live into this role, despite the fact that it's not on any of his own merit that he's, he's, he's been given this, and that, you know, in everyone's eyes, he's one of the least kingly people you could imagine, he is king, that is true of his identity now. And, and, and so it doesn't matter how far away he is from that idealized version of what a king should be, he's got to live into this. And he's got the role now attached to him. And so the movie is really about Hal kind of growing into that in, through some different ways. And, and so there's this kind of tension about him in the movie that I, I really appreciated. This kind of already not yet sort of quality to him. And, and when he comes in, sort of the counselors around him, they kind of treat him like they think he's maybe someone they can push around and used to to kind of get their own agendas across. And, and Hal is trying to be a good king and do what he thinks is wisest and best for the nation. And that's kind of how the movie kind of progresses on from there. And he does take it serious. He actually, despite the fact that he's kind of a nobody when he takes the throne, he's kind of seen as someone who would really suck at this, who's never going to grow into that uh, role of being who his identity is now, according to everyone else around him. Um, He he takes it seriously. He, He understands the weight of it, and he tries his best to live into it, despite the fact that he was very far from that when he takes over the throne. And I think this is super helpful to understand what Paul is talking about to the Philippians and then, you know, through that to us as we come and study this letter here. So this is what he says in verse 16. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Um, okay, he, he is, he's saying, like, this has been given to you. And we talked about this in this last passage. Something that has come into the world. Jesus has come into the world. We've been given this. This is true of us no matter what we do to earn that title, right? And this is something that is at the heart of the Christian faith. We have not done anything uh, to um, give ourselves the status that Christ gives to us, that of of saved, of righteous, uh, of in Christ. But Paul wants us to live into what we've already attained, despite the fact that we might be kind of nobodies. We've done zero work to return it. We might be the furthest you could imagine away from the goal of the Christian life, it's true of us, but we've got to learn to live into that. We've got to live into what we has already been attained for us. And, and at Res City, we, we talk about this um, in the phrase, new people, new lives. Okay, this is actually what we have on our website. It's one of our values. We are new people. We are made new in Christ. And now, we want to take it seriously, the weight of that, and live at new lives, to be transformed in our thinking, in our habits, in, in, in how we go about living in the rest of the world, understanding that even though it's not been us that's attained it, that we are supposed to live into what has been attained for us, to take it seriously, okay? We, we were nobodies, and God has made us into somebody's. And, and the, the way that the Bible talks about who we are in Christ now, there's some big language to describe us. Whether it's new creation, royal priesthood, saints, chosen people, all of these, all this different language gets applied to Christians. And I think we kind of gloss over that sometimes, but I think the call is on us to really live into that, to take it seriously. If you get crowned king or queen of a nation You have to, first of all, accept that it's true of you, that, you know, if you actually say something's going to happen, it's going to happen, and people are going to treat you differently, okay? But also, you've got to be constantly living into that more and more, okay? Because it's not a small thing to be crowned king or queen, right? It's not something you do for fun. It's not something you do when you feel like it. Um, It's for the nation's good. You represent the nation in all of your actions or your callings. And the worst kings and queens in history have been ones who haven't taken that seriously, right? They have kind of said, I'm king or queen, but I'm going to, you know, one day a week I'm going to take this seriously maybe, and the rest of it I'm going to spend, you know, using all the stuff that's at my disposal for my own pleasure, right? Those are the worst kings and queens in history. We can probably think of them off the, you know, names come to your mind off the top of your head. And I think that that's a good analogy for us as Christians, right, to understand that it's not a small thing that Christ has done for us. It's not a small thing for us to be, have been made new people, to be called a, a royal priesthood, saints, chosen by God. And, and if we're honest, I think, we really are honest with ourselves, and, and I'm including myself in this, we can take a sort of when I feel like it approach sometimes to the Christian life right? We, we can kind of say like, you know, I'm going to take this seriously some days, but other days or other situations or with certain groups of people, I'm not going to really take that super seriously. And I think it's good for us to remind ourselves regularly that it's not something we choose to do when it's convenient or exciting, because what God has done for us is not a trivial thing. It's not a small thing that's just supposed to impact a, a little part of our lives, Okay, it's not something that we add into life to make it more comfortable uh, and do when we feel like it. Because it's really about God's purposes to set the world right. Okay, that's why Jesus comes into the world. That's why he, he makes us new creation through salvation, through forgiveness, through redemption and restoration. It's part of his purpose to make the whole world new. And we're, we're a part of that. We are, we are wrapped up in God's purposes in the world. And we just have to be sort of constantly taking that seriously. And, and I think uh, God's desire for us is to be doing that, to take it more seriously than we often do. I don't think Jesus took on flesh and died on a cross, taking us, nobodies, making us into somebodies so that we could kind of check in and out when we feel like it. Okay, and so it's good for us to sort of be reminded of this. Um, now, the challenge with this, I'm saying all this stuff, and I realize that this is more difficult than it, you know for me to just stand up here and say it. I know that there's a there's a challenge here, and there's actually a tension, and that's what Paul is getting at in this passage today, okay? This sort of tension that that comes with this, this tension to try to grow more and more into what has been attained for us, into what is already true of us. And that's what Paul says here in verses 12 to 13. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, now this, specifically in the, in the context of what Paul's saying, is resurrection. That's what he talked about last week. This power of resurrection that comes from knowing Christ. This is something that, that Paul says is something that he's taken a hold of, but he wants to be clear here that this hasn't happened quite yet. Okay? The hope and promise that we will become like Christ one day, finally and fully, living in resurrected, redeemed bodies like his, Uh, where we are fully who we're becoming now in the present, uh, where we're free from the decay and the corrupting influence of sin and the challenges of living in a world that has been bogged down by that for pretty much its entire existence. That is what we're we're hoping for, what we're expecting, what we're calling out for. We can't wait for it to happen. But Paul is quite clear that this has not yet taken place none of us have arrived in that age quite yet there's still a gap and so sometimes we can fall into this temptation of having an overrealized eschatology that's a, you know smart people who write books like to say when they describe this it's a kind of like overestimating how f- close we are to the goal right or overestimating how close we can get here in the present and so that just means that the christian life fundamentally is managing a tension of living between two spaces, living in the middle of a space that something new has started in the midst of something old. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so this tension is between who we were and who we're becoming. Uh, It's a tension between faith and hope and love, these things that Paul talks about all the time in his letters, and then cynicism and despair and self-protection and comfort. Right? it's this tension between these things that we constantly feel. And I think, you know, you know, we feel this in ourselves. When we really ask our, you know, we think about this a little bit, you know, when we kind of pause to ask ourselves, what does this look like in practice? Like, you can feel this in your day-to-day interactions with people that you're close to maybe, right? Or one day you're, 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 you're like, man, I'm really living this out well. And then, then like the next day you're like, why did I say that thing? Why did I do that thing? Right? Or you're living and you're feeling like, man, things are going really well right now. And then the next day, it kind of, you feel like everything falls apart. Right? that sort of back and forth. You know how we feel that sometimes? That's this tension here. Right? Right? It's never getting too comfortable in the space we're in now. You know, celebrating what God is doing in the present, but also realizing that there's always going to be a challenge. It's always going to be contested. And that means sort of constantly tuning ourselves back to the gospel, which we talked about last week. And if you you didn't hear that sermon, I would encourage you to go check it out. We talked about tuning ourselves to the gospel at the end. But the way that Paul talks about this here is by using the metaphor of like a race, treating it like it's a race. So this is what he says in uh, the second half of verse 13 to verse 15. But one thing I do is forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. So he uses this analogy or this language of running a race. Okay, We press on. We keep pushing um, you know, we're, 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 we're moving forward toward a prize, toward a goal. We're moving, you know, constantly, in, you know, looking for forward motion. Okay? We don't get halfway there and then call it good, even if it's tough. You know, if there's a big hill that we're running up, we don't say, this that's good, I, I think I've had enough, right? We don't get bored, we don't start running another race. We stay focused like a disciplined runner. And this is actually a metaphor Paul uses several other places in his in his writings. I don't know if Paul was a big race fan or something, but it seems something something he's pretty familiar with and the idea of marathons, actually, like, it comes from ancient Greece. Like, the word marathon, the idea of running 25-ish miles uh, for fun, comes from, actually, a, Gr- a Greek story where someone did that. So it was a big part uh, of the ancient world that Paul grew up in, is running these these, these races. Everyone would have been aware of it. And, and we do, too, right? We we. We have people who are runners in this room, people who have run marathons or run for fun. We have people who are not interested at all in that too, I realize, but we get that, right? We live in a culture that celebrates stuff like that, and I have a friend who's who's an ultra marathon runner, and these guys are no joke, right? They're very serious about sort of everything that they do, the way they eat, the way that they structure their days, what they do each day is kind of all a part of this goal of, of running these races, and... And that focus, I think, is what sets them apart, it makes them able to do that, um, because they know where they're going, and they have a vision to get there, and they press on each day towards that. Now, that's, that's what Paul has in mind for us when, when we're talking about the Christian life, is, is pressing on consistently, daily, as if we're, we're, we're moving on towards this prize that, has been, that we know we're going to win. The race has been won for us, but we're still moving towards it. And for Paul, the word that he uses to describe this mindset is maturity, okay? For a Christian to have this mindset is, 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 a, is, a, is a form of maturity for Paul, applied to how they live in all their areas. So what I want to do today is I actually want to talk about five different aspects of maturity. Um, and we're going to talk about it through uh, five ideas, kind of using the acronym FOCUS, um, and, and I want to work through these different ways about how we can be pressing on uh, heavenward, pressing on towards the goal that Christ has set out for us. The thing that has been attained for us already, but we're pressing on towards anyway. In the midst of challenge, in the midst of, uh, of being tired sometimes, in the midst of maybe bad weather, or, or what, all the different challenges that can come when you're running a race. Um, moving, you know, How to move on in, in the midst of all that stuff. Okay, so focus. First one is actually just focus. I wasn't that creative. I tried. I really did try to get more creative than this, and I just couldn't. So the first one actually is just focus. The second one is being oriented to the Spirit. The third is continued motion. The fourth is using your gifts. And then the last one is sacrifice. Now, note here how I put in parentheses above this, it's all done in the community of faith. Now, I thought about putting this into the acronym, but then I thought, like, no, I want us to take that for granted. Okay, that all the stuff that we do as Christians, all the things that we challenge ourselves to apply to our lives, is something that we just inherently always assume is taking place in our community. So that's why I didn't actually include it in the acronym. Is I just want us to think in everything that we do. Uh, I want us to take it for granted that we're doing it in the midst of a community on Sunday mornings, on weeknights as we gather in community groups, in, you know, spontaneous uh, hangouts among friends, going for bike rides. Maybe you're going for runs together. I don't know, right? But, but doing this all in the midst of community together. All right, so the first one here. First one, focus. And focus is about where am I going? Now, it's hard to mature if you don't know the direction that you're maturing towards. Right? You can't go <clears throat> somewhere that you don't know where it's at. Right? You don't know where the destination is for it. Otherwise, yes, you'll have motion. You'll have change. Right, You, you may even get tired doing it, but it's not necessarily you know, headed in any direction. It's this kind of motion or change for motion's sake is all it really is. And I think that's how we approach maturing a lot of times uh, is, is you know, we learn don't do that thing right? We, we kind of learn, you know, avoid this thing or don't act this way next time. And that's helpful, but it doesn't necessarily say, instead of doing this, do this. It just says, don't do this. Does that make sense? Right? I think that's how we approach maturing a lot of times. And so you end up just kind of hoping you end up somewhere that you don't like by avoiding stuff that's gone bad or you don't like. But that's not quite the same as heading for a specific destination and having focus on that. Okay, And so that's why we need to have a positive vision for where we're going in addition to just a negative vision of where we don't go. And, and there's a lot of ways that we can learn what the positive vision looks like. It can come from preaching on Sunday mornings. It can come from reading scripture. It can come from listening to the Spirit, which we'll talk about here in a second. But one of the things that Paul talks about quite a bit is this idea of, of, of modeling and imitating To grow towards something. So he says, this is what he actually says here is a way for them to uh, press on, is to join together in following my example. Just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So what he's saying is, like, there are good models, there are people to emulate in the community of faith for a reason. We can learn stuff from each other as we watch others you know, go before us or we listen to the experience of others or we just see how they live their lives on a regular basis. We're supposed to imitate each other. Okay? Not, not in a fake way, right? Not trying to, you know, in the ways that we sometimes think about that, but in a real sort of like, I want to be, I can see that person radiates the presence of God. They press on towards the goal, right? They embody Christ-likeness. I want to do that too because I think that's my call. And so we, we, we do that. So find mentors. It'd be around people who, whose lives are signposts in the, in the direction of the destination that we're heading. It's good for us to do that with one another. It's actually part of the church structure. It's one of the natural things that happens in a community is just being around other people who you want to follow. And, and, and learn from, right? And you will be like this for them in other ways too. That's the thing. And some of us are, are you know, better at other things than others or model it better than others. We will learn from each other as we're doing this well. So, so it's, it, it's good to be around each other and emulate and become uh, models um, and then followers of what it means to, to press on. So that's one way. The second way, and Paul talks about this a lot in his letters as well, and, and we find it all over the Bible, is being oriented to the Spirit or guided. And this is, it gives us more help with the destination that we're headed. Okay? It helps to have a guide, right? It, it doesn't help to just kind of see other people in that direction. It can help to have someone who's saying, no, head this way. No, no do, do this thing right here. Or yes, keep doing that thing. That, that, that's where we want to be headed towards. And that's what the Spirit is supposed to be for us. Uh, In John 14, 26, this is Jesus saying, hey, I'm gonna leave. That's part of the plan. Don't be freaked out. But I'm not gonna leave you hanging here. Okay, someone is gonna come and he's gonna fill the role that I've had with you and his name is the Holy Spirit. And he is going to, um, he's gonna uh, teach you all things. He's gonna remind you of everything that I've said to you. He's gonna fill this role that I've had in helping to guide you towards, you know, what God is up to in the world. And I think um, we need to be more serious or more patient or more understanding of what it looks like to follow the Spirit in our lives, okay? Because the Spirit comes from the place that we're headed, okay? From God's space, from heaven. And because of that, He's the ideal guide for us, to guide us into pathways, habits, decisions that are focused on the destination, Now, I think sometimes we can find ourselves being frustrated with the Holy Spirit, okay? Or or frustrated listening to God, trying to find a guide or direction for what we should do in our lives. Maybe you've prayed in the past and you've hoped the Spirit would help you with maybe some issue that you have, right? Something that you're looking for some direction on, um, like taking a job or where should I move or should I date this person or or different, you know, big decisions that we have a lot of times. And then, you, you know you found no answers to that. You, you felt like the spirit's been silent and it's led you to be kind of frustrated. And maybe your thought is, well, you know, maybe God doesn't care about me. Maybe God isn't, isn't even there, right? That's the type of questions we ask in our minds. Now, perhaps what we might be missing there is that God is telling us, he is speaking to us about how to move towards the destination. But what, what, we're, what we're finding that God values is, is not necessarily you know, what we specifically do but how we do it or who we're becoming as we do it. And so I would submit to you that sometimes I would say God cares a lot less about what job you take, right, or what city you live in or what house you buy than he does about who you're becoming as you do that stuff, right? You can follow Christ, you can look like Christ in many different settings, And I think often God is calling us to to grow in those areas. That's where the Spirit is guiding us or directing us towards, is living Christ-like, living like people who take it seriously, that we are made new, that we're transformed, that we're a royal priesthood. And And we can do that in a lot of different settings, okay? And so this is, I think, where the Spirit is often going to meet us, is in that space, giving us wisdom about how we can follow Christ no matter where we end up, okay? So that's what, I think, that's what I think we should consider oftentimes as we are being oriented to the Spirit. Okay, next up, continued motion. And this is about humility ultimately, okay? Now, the whole point, what Paul is talking about here is that we won't ever arrive at the destination on this side of heaven. That's the big point of this passage. And this is why we continue to press on. It's because we're we're not quite getting there at any point until Christ returns and and finishes the job. And so humility is key here, understanding who we are and who we aren't. Now, but we we can often get confused, right? And we can start to, even if we don't believe we're there, we can start to kind of act like it so think of it like you're driving a car, right? Um, and you've got the gas down. You're pushing the gas down really hard, and you're, you're moving forward very fast. But then you take your foot off, and you're like, you know, I, I got going really fast there for a stretch, and my foot's tired, and I'm going to pull the foot off the gas now. And we're just going to coast for a little while. We've got some good momentum going. I don't think I need to keep the gas on. Well, I think the car can carry me uh, pretty far here. And, you know, maybe you hit a decline, and so you get a little bit of momentum. Gravity kicks in and helps a little bit here, too. But eventually, like, you're going to come to a stop, right? Momentum can, from, from a season of, of punching the gas down in the car can only take you so far. And, and sometimes when we come to that stop, we might feel confused, right, or, or frustrated with God. Like, God, why aren't you pulling me forward? And part of the reason is because we might have taken our foot off the brake, okay? When in reality, maybe we thought, I had got enough speed going from this one season of life where I was, where I was growing, right? Where I, God was very present with me, and I felt like that was good. I'm just going to coast on that for a little while. When I think the call for us is to be in continuing motion, okay? Because that's how it works, right? Is, is us constantly moving forward, constantly taking steps forward, constant, consistent motion, Okay? We're all going to have these significant growth seasons in our lives where we take huge leaps forward. right? We are going to have those where God is very present. God is very much involved in, in pulling us from one place to another. And those are good. We should celebrate those. But we can't just coast on those seasons as well. Okay, When things are maybe a little bit tougher or we're busier, we have to continue to be moving forward in some way. Even if it's just baby steps. Even if it's small things. Even if it's just consistency in the stuff that you you learned or you grew towards in that season of life. Even if it's this consistency and following that out, that's good. Because those moments are not sufficient, okay? No one season of life is going to be sufficient to bring you to the end of the race, okay? We wouldn't tolerate that approach in any other area of our life, right? Just think about it right if if you you know in your job you wouldn't say i worked hard for a year so now the next 3 or 4 years i expect to get a salary right for for not really doing anything for maybe just showing up but then spending all my time on social media right you wouldn't you wouldn't think that, that would would fly there right or as a parent you wouldn't say that you know i was a really good parent for year 3 of that kid's life and i'm going to that's going to carry over till they're 18 and they're out of my house right you wouldn't take that approach with your kids but i think we far often do that with our with our spiritual lives more than we admit right we kind of coast off of certain seasons of life and i think the call to maturity the call to understanding the weight of what we've been called to is continued motion even if it's small Right? Even if it's not like those quantum leaps that we get sometimes, continued motion, baby steps, doing the small things, setting habits or patterns that continue to move us towards the goal, that are, are oriented towards pressing on. All right, the next thing here I want to talk about is using your gifts, which is about expanding God's work ultimately. Okay? We, part of God's purposes in the world is for us to partner with him, to contribute in what he's doing. Remember I talked about before, like us being made new, us being made uh, a royal priesthood, like we read some places in the Bible, is about God expanding his work in the world of redemption and restoration of all things. Okay? So when we are a part of that, that means we're supposed to continue to work towards it. We're partners, we're co-laborers with God in that. God could do it all himself, but he doesn't. He chooses to involve us in it. And so you think of it like a dad. He's building a treehouse in the backyard and he's letting his kids help out, right? Now, again, dad is the one who's ultimately making sure this this treehouse gets built and built safely and built the right way, okay? But a lot of times, you know, dads are going to give their kids tools to contribute. They're going to be like, here's a hammer and I want you to take this hammer and smack it on this little thing. It's called a nail. And once you do that, it's going to hold this piece in place. That's not the full treehouse, but it's a part of it. It's going to help kind of build the rest of this thing. God does give us tools to contribute in the work that he's doing. And they're called gifts or graces. That's the word that, that Paul uses to, um, to talk about the things that we're given through the Spirit to contribute to God's work, to build the church. Um, and our job is to sort of discern what those are and then figure out how to use them. Okay, that's what it means to sort of really engage in this, in this area, is to know what, what we're good at, what God has gifted us to do, and then figure out, how can I use that to sort of contribute or partner in the work that God is doing in the world? And so a lot of times that comes with a passion, something you love doing, right? Uh, something that you get so much joy out of doing in a certain area. That's not always possible, okay? And that's, that's the hard part. That's part of the tension, that we live in. It's not always going to come easy. But there are ways for you to use your gifts, even doing stuff that's maybe not your first choice, right? Or, and this is something that we always want to encourage you guys to do, if you have a gift in something and you're at Res City, and it's like, maybe I could take the lead on doing something like this. I think it would be good if we did something like this at Res City. I have some gift and some excitement about it. Go ahead, you know, come to me and Julie or some other person in leadership and say, maybe we could try this thing, okay? Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you this, I'm not gifted in everything, okay? And so if you come to me with an idea of something you're excited about and say, can you take the lead on that? And I'm like, sure, I'll give it a try. It's probably not gonna go very well, okay? Which is why it's better when you use your gifts to lead that area. Okay? The church is about all of us sort of coming together and the stuff we've been gifted to do. That's why it's not just on a few people to sort of lead everything in a church. The, the goal is for everyone to contribute. And so that's what it means for us to have uh, these gifts and to use them well. So consider that, you know. If, you're, if you feel like you have been gifted in some way, consider wh- wh- what would it look like for me to use that gift at Res City. It could be in the midst of something that's already taking place, right? And maybe it's like, it could, it could be something like, I have organizational skills, and I can help in pretty much anything we're doing at Res City with that, or I have joy in serving. Like, I can do a lot of different things with that. But maybe it's something that, like, is unique and different, and, and consider what it could look like for us to do that at Res City. Okay, so the last one here. And I want to go back to something earlier in the book of Philippians to sort of uh, draw this one out. And this is from when Miles preached a few weeks ago. This is the, the Christ hymn. It's kind of the most famous section in the book of Philippians. And it's, it's Paul, you know, he's, he's probably quoting something. That's what most people think here. He's quoting some song or hymn that the early church sang. And it's about Jesus and about who he is and about what he's done. And so let me just read it real quick here Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is um, at the center uh, of the book of Philippians. And it's sort of, if, actually, there's some interesting word studies. Like it, the words that are in this hymn, you find them popping up at different places in the rest of the letter, but now applied to what the Philippians can be doing to live like Christ. So it's, it's very fascinating to see how Paul sort of structures the whole letter around this. And the big idea is that, at, you know, on the one hand, this is the, this is the God we're celebrating, the one who gave himself up for us, so that he may be exalted and placed above all things as king, okay? And that, that helps set our focus on who we're worshiping, right? That tells us who God is, tells us what God is up to in the world, and it invites us to worship and to find comfort in that God, the one who literally was willing to die in order to accomplish his mission for us. But the other reason that it's there is so that we may now take our place in also living out the Christ hymn of following Jesus, right? And the second part of this here, where, where Paul says God exalted him to the highest place, right? Um, right exalted him to this high station. This is, this is resurrection here, right? This is Jesus being resurrected and made king. We will join him in that resurrection one day, okay? But notice what comes first. The thing that comes first is sacrifice. And, and Paul has said, listen, this resurrection thing, haven't taken a hold of it yet, So that means we're still in the sacrifice phase of this. And that's what it looks like to follow Jesus in this well. To to be willing to sacrifice, to live like Christ. It's at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. And Paul wants the Philippians, and now us as readers of this, as people who follow in the footsteps of the Philippian church, to understand that as well. And so when we um, seek out maturity through focusing Right? Of knowing what's important, what's the thing to be focusing on, what's the destination to take, through orientation to the Spirit, through a true desire to consistent movement and, and commitment to giving of our gifts. Okay? When we, desire, when we uh, are committed to those first four things we talked about today, sacrifice is naturally going to have to happen in order for those four to take place. Okay? We have to be willing to sacrifice. But a lot of times, that realization can stunt a lot of our growth and can kind of short-circuit those first four things because we might say something like, "'I don't want to follow Jesus in sacrificing certain things.'" whether it's money or status or comfort or approval or safety or time of, of views we hold dear, of, of legit idols in our lives, things that we might find that we're worshiping over Jesus. Okay? A stumbling block for us sometimes to f- doing those first four things can be an unwillingness to sacrifice. Jesus calls us to be willing to leave all of those things. doesn't mean we'll have to leave them all, okay? it for sure doesn't but we have to be willing to give up some stuff to follow Jesus in this well now if you're uncomfortable with that okay if you find yourself thinking that there is there's you know if there's anything that you think if i were called to give this up i would choose that over christ i think christ is calling you to reckon with that to ask yourself why is it why can i not give this thing up why would i be completely unwilling to sacrifice this thing if it meant following jesus if it meant living up to this the, to what has already been attained for me, okay? And, and remember, it's not like Jesus is asking you to, do, to sacrifice something and he's got no skin in the game himself, right? Our whole faith, our whole plausibility structure as Christians is premised on this claim that God himself put himself in human flesh, came down to earth Gave up reigning the whole cosmos to be treated like a criminal, unjustly, to be brutally murdered in the worst way you could imagine, the most shameful way possible in that time and place, in a ghastly death, to take us, a bunch of nobodies, and make us somebodies. Jesus is not going to ask you to do anything that he is not willing to do for you and for your good, to attain for you resurrection. And so now we're running a race that has been won for us. And so if it feels like, uh, you know, if we have a fear of giving something up because we think this is going to keep us from winning the race in some way, we don't have to fear that. That's the whole point, right? It's not really a sacrifice at the end of the day because it causes us to find our rest in the one who has accomplished it all for us. And so it becomes a joy, it becomes a hope for us. And that's the hope, that's what has been started for us. I'm gonna pray here and we're gonna enter a time of worship and communion. Lord, thank you for giving yourself up for us, for running the race for us by dying on a cross, by rising again, and then giving us the opportunity to rest in that to follow you, to to run the race that you have won for us, uh, Lord, to to follow in your footsteps so that we may just live into something that is already true of us, something that has already been attained for us. I pray that you would give us endurance in that because, God, it is tough sometimes. It is not like this is an easy thing. When we take the tension seriously, we know that this is a real challenge. But God, help us to have endurance to press on in the midst of that, like marathon runners, who, who start to get tired as they approach the finish line, who, who realize it's a challenge as they're running up a steep hill, God, but who know that they've trained for this, who know that this is in hand for them. God, give us that focus, that endurance to, to press on as we move closer and closer to the thing that you have already attained for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.